The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. As always, I'm Darren Karp. And I'm Liz Cully. And what a fun week we've had. We hung out a couple of times in LA. Yes, I always love seeing you. I know, to really round out the Pride Month, you know, as it comes to a close. Yeah, and the end of this month, like Andy's throwing a little party, and I've invited a few of our mutual friends. So if you were in town, it kills me that you're not, but I know you're kind of going away here. But, uh, you know... I'm going to celebrate Pride in fucking style, all right? And that's going to be with Andy on a rooftop somewhere, and that's all I got to say. Ugh, I'm so jealous. I'm so annoyed. Yeah. I even have an outfit, well, but it's okay. Next time. Uh, Next I'll time. I'll borrow it. Well, you know, if you're listening to this episode, we're actually doing, this one's kind of different, actually, because we really wanted to highlight this one particular thing, kind of to round out our Pride Month. We have a few news items to get to at the top, but we did have the esteemed pleasure of talking to the creator of the Lesbian Bar Project, the producer Erica Rose, who is just loving and wonderful and she can speak to the project in the in 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 the next interview segment but uh i i wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit liz just because like lesbian bars aren't to me they weren't a formative part of my queer story sure like i've I, you know I, I i never had that one like l word night that you had on the boat uh type night in a lesbian bar hooked up with girls at lesbian bars for sure but it was never like a long-term thing. I'm not good at talking to girls in bars, but after watching this documentary, I was remiss to kind of hear that they are dwindling and, and, uh, and depleting faster than ever. I feel like you're like a lesbian bar kind of girl. Like, I'm like not though. Know, like, like, here's the thing. Like, you know things, but you know things. I know though. things. You know things. I know enough to be dangerous, you know? Um, right, exactly. Like, if I had a night with you, you'd be like, we're going to go here, we're going to go here, we're going to go here. Even if you've never been to those places, you're like, I got you. True. Right. Okay. So okay. for me, it was more, you know, growing up in San Francisco, the Lexington is such an iconic and or was an iconic and famous lesbian bar that had been around for decades and you know, was somewhere where I knew lesbians lived inside of the walls. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I always knew there was that place to meet up. It Should I, should I sure. need it? The first time I ever went, I went by myself. No one spoke to me. Which is, by the way, like daunting to me now. It happened like everywhere. Even walking into a, but even walking into a bar now by myself at 33, taken happily, feels daunting to me. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, the lesbian bars were tough for me because I felt intimidated. I wanted to meet people. I think lesbians are, or rather the women that were in those spaces, they're not as like aggressive or I wasn't in a situation where, you know, it kind of feels like it's like it takes two to tango, you know? And I was a little scared when I was first going to lesbian bars because I was younger and not as confident. And yeah, so I've had a couple of really interesting nights at some infamous lesbian bars. I used to spend a lot of Christmas Eves at Gossip Grill in San Diego when my brother lived there. I famously, which we talk about in the episode, I like flirt with one of the bartenders and that didn't really go the way it had planned. But I think it would be different like you and me going to a lesbian bar now. Like, I feel like I we would have fun. I don't know why we haven't really. Yeah, I like, we would have fun because there's no pressure to like. Exactly. Be cool or be seen in a way that when we were younger, I think that that's what I would have wanted. Like, I might have, and, and maybe this is why I avoided it. But I feel like if I went to a lesbian bar when I was younger, sat at the bar, had a drink, and no one talked to me, 
Like I might feel low self-esteem after that. Well, I did, Darren. I did. So you're correct. (laughs) That's how I felt. I felt so embarrassed and so, and I didn't feel great. Did you like, when I walk into a lesbian bar, I think it's harder than not to find somebody that I think is my type. No, because you know me. I get crushes on everybody. Yeah, you you, you got diverse crushes on everything. Yeah, I'm like you, down you, for whatever. You, you're down to clown, like constantly. <laughs> I'm down to clown. I'm, I'm down to clown too. But yeah, I would have to, I would have to have, I've never had like that one like sweaty, hot dance moment on the floor. Oh, I did. I, like I took a girl like, home once from a bar from the Lexington. I took her home. I was like, hey girl, you want to go home with me? And she was like, yeah. And then I woke up the next morning and was like, oh shit, who the fuck are you? I remember... I went on a date in 2014. This was when I was like either in an open relationship at the time, or maybe I was single, but I went on a date with a woman who was a sex therapist and into like BDM. And it was probably our like BDSM, you mean BDSM. Yeah. We had been dating a month. So not long, but not short, like enough that we were going on like Friday and Saturday night dates. And I remember and she was very pretty, very outgoing, smart, you know, she smoked weed, like everything. And I remember she was like, do you want to go dancing? And no one has ever like asked me that formally. I don't know if, I don't know if men or women have asked you that before, but like no one's ever really asked me that as a New York city date, you know, like seven years ago, like she's like, do you want to go dancing? And I was like, where? And she was like, let's go to Stonewall. And huh. I was like, all right, like, I mean, this, yeah, right, right. And I was like, I was like, okay. You know, like in my mind, I was like, I was open to it. I was open to it. And we went and we danced. And I just remember thinking how easy it felt with her on something that I thought was always so kind of daunting. I will definitely dance, but I don't go to bars with the object being to dance. Do you know that make sense? The goal yeah. is not to dance. I think we got to like loosen you up post-pandemic. I think we got to go <laughs> dancing. I've gone, I've gone with lesbians dancing play. I I love a good dance I just, moment. I think I needed like that lesbian crew and I never had that. You're kind of like my lesbian crew. I mean, I have lesbian friends, but I feel like you are the woman that I can go out with now. Darren, we have no lesbian friends. No, I have, I have my friend Aaron and my friend Morgan and we have Strecker and I have you and like, I have people, but yeah, I don't have, it's not like cohesive. Like, because Taylor Taylor and I live in New York City, but Taylor doesn't see anybody and she lives in Jersey. So I'm like, I know, but it doesn't really count. But it's the same for me. I think I don't have, and you know, Darren and I were just guests on a friend of ours podcast just now and we came off recording and we kind of were talking about like the scene and I don't have like a group of lesbian friends. I know a lot of lesbians, but I don't have like a lesbian crew. No, even when we were talking to Cameron Esposito and and she was kind of talking about her. Oh, but she has such a cool crew. Oh, she has such a cool crew. But like when she was talking about her crew, I was like, I want that. Like I've never had that. Like L word status shit. And so I think that's part of the reason I got, you know, and, and Erica, our next guest, who brought in Leah Delaria to this and sort of, you know, got this public figure who's, you know, kind of the star of this documentary, if you will, kind of the voice of it. And the Empress, I think like the Dyke Empress. The Embassy, or whatever. the Empress of the Lesbians. The yes, Empress of the Lesbians. 
I just, I, I got into it because it just really fascinated me as something that wasn't really part of my queer culture. I thought it was actually really, it's important historically. And the fact Super. that all of these bars are kind of dwindling now, I think there's, I want to say there's 17, but originally when the documentary came out, there was 21. And I, what I actually like about it is you get like a t-shirt and then it says lesbian bar project. And then it has all the lesbian bars that are in the United States right now on the back of the t-shirt, which I only recognize a few of them. In fact, I'm looking at the list right now and I only see in terms of California, I only see San Francisco and San Diego. What is San Francisco? What does it list out? Oh, Jolene's wild, wild side West. Oh, wow. Wild side West. Yeah. And then gossip girl, which I can never show my face in again. Yes. No. I mean, it was fun. I'm really glad you went to the premiere. I'm super glad we talked to her. I really liked her. Me too. And it's kind of a good uh, precursor because we're going to have Leah Delaria on. Spoiler alert. So this is going gonna to be, it's just a wonderful film. And we kind of encourage everyone to to watch it. And, and, and it's only like 25 minutes, but it's important. And it was beautifully done. And I hope you look at it as well, Liz, because I know that right before we recorded, you couldn't, you couldn't watch it. Um, but I hope you do watch it because I think you'd really enjoy it. And you'd probably fucking recognize half the bars there because like, you are the bar girl. Like you are. I'm a little nervous girl. about that, but that's all right. <laughs> Nothing like a little yeah, trip. No, I'm down to clown around. I'm down to take a yeah. trip down memory lane. So You're here down I go. To clown, dude. That's right. Down to clown, and I'm down to take a trip down memory lane. So You've everyone. Been clowning, girl. Enjoy this interview with Erica Rose. Make sure you check out the Lesbian Bar Project. And happy Pride. And thanks for spending Pride with Darren and I. I was just going to say that. Happy Pride. I hope you all are doing something fun and you all deserve it. But yeah, happy Pride and more fucking Pride to come. And thanks for spending it with us. And Liz, I love you. I love you too. Summer is here and we are ready to party. We wanted to tell you about our favorite summer beverage, Bev. It's crisp, dry, refreshing wine in a can and all five of the flavors are zero sugar, only have three carbs and a hundred calories per serving. They have rosé, sauve blanc, pinot gris, pinot noir, and a sparkling white wine. My personal favorite is the sparkling white wine because it comes in a glitter can, which I feel is really chic. But honestly, I love them all. We love Bev as a perfect addition to any summer activity. Brunch, a day in the park, barbecuing, hanging out on the beach, seeing your friends you haven't seen in a year. (laughs) And this year, Bev has a brand new member of the family. Her name is Glam, and she is a refreshing, sparkling rosé. Glam is unapologetic about who she is and inspires others through her confidence and radiating inner beauty. Oh, I like this girl, Glam. I'm going to invite her to my party. Glam is a must add to the guest list for all the fun get togethers this summer. And through the end of Pride Month, Bev has teamed up with Way Out and is donating all of Glam sales up to $10,000 to support Way Out youth center initiatives across the country. I'm obsessed. So for all of our beautiful scissoring isn't a thing listeners, we've worked out a little deal because you know how we do over here. You guys are going to receive 20% off your first purchase plus free shipping on all orders. We definitely recommend that you get Bev Glam, duh, the newest sparkling rosé, or try the best selling 
Ladies' Night Variety Pack for all of their refreshing varietals. Go to Bev.com slash scissoring or use the code scissoring at checkout. That's D-R-I-N-K-B-E-V.com slash scissoring. Welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing, everyone. I am Darren Karp, and as always, I'm with my partner, Liz Cully. Liz, how you doing today? I'm so good because I got to hang out with you last night in real life. We did. I, I took you out. I took my girls out for a nice little, she did. Uh, a nice little bar food, and Liz was coming off a, a time of the month, and so was giving the waiter some hell with her orders, but you know, you were, you were, and we I loved it. I wasn't giving anyone hell. Well, more, you were like, should I get the French fries? Should I not? She was like, do you have a lightly chilled red wine? And then he was like, lightly chilled? I have a chilled red wine. And she was like, oh, okay, that's fine. I was like, fuck is lightly chilled, Liz? Like, it makes no sense. Anyway. It does make sense. It makes sense <laughs> if you're living in a world where you like a lightly chilled red wine. And But like, like chilled is like wet. It's like there's only one, there's either chilled or not chilled. It's either wet or it's not wet. Right, no. Erica? Like, do you only like that? When you're coming off your period, that's what I'm confused about. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, okay. No, Fair I, Fair okay. I Fair just, question. it was, it's been very warm in Los Angeles. It's like humid yeah. white wine and rosé sometimes just doesn't sit well with me. And so yeah. like okay. a European, which I am not, I no, love right. a lightly chilled red wine. Anyway, it's fine. He brought out a fucking magnum of cold red wine, which was bonkers. <laughs> anyway. Only in L.A. That lovely voice you hear questioning whether or not it's just Liz on her period or not, which is a fair <laughs> question, um, is the amazing Erica Rose, who, Erica, welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing, first and foremost. I'm so happy to be here and really a fan of periods, so no shame. Thank I you. thought you were going to say you were a fan of scissoring, and then Liz and I were going to be like, is it a thing for you? Or Yeah, I'm, a, I'm not, let me rephrase. I'm not a fan of periods. I'm like, the, the reason why I was late to this podcast recording is that I was like, I got my period like right before. I, I, and I feel like there's like this, like, you know, kinship being formed because of that. Definitely. But Ditto. I, Ditto. Yeah, I, I'm um, not a scissorer. I have a lot of thoughts on that that we can talk about. I've tried it before. I will say that. We're going to have to dive into this. <laughs> and and for the listeners, do you identify as a queer? Like, how do you identify? I'm a lesbian, cisgendered, anxious New York Jew. <laughs> Perfect. And so I also, so you're me, yeah, Erica. So we're okay. kind of the same person. Yeah. <laughs> I will also use the label as of dyke, of gay, of fabulous of Lord of the Lesbians in the Making. <laughs> oh, okay. That's Leah Delaria's label. So I'm just trying to like co-op that. Yeah. Yes. We know because in fact, we just had Carmen Esposito on the show and mm -hmm. we were playing a little game where we ha you had to identify a person on the screen and we put Leah up there and I read Leah's bio on Wikipedia. Yes. Which yes. says... Lord of the Lesbians in <laughs> on Wikipedia. So it's true, I mean, folks. How, what do I have to do to get that title on my Wikipedia, though? Like, tell me. You can go in and edit it, which is great. I don't even have a Wikipedia. <laughs> I have to put my own entrance in, which would be so, terrible. Yeah, like, no. I mean, that's the thing. If you want to stoop low and do that, I fully commend you. Um, Thank and you. And we can stoop make low. that happen. But also Leah's pronouns are just empress. 
he oh. asked her what her pronouns are and they were empress. I mean, only, only her or empress. Pretty incredible. So In fact, Darren, the next yes. time I see Leah, hopefully it's empress. after she comes on the show, but maybe it'll be before Erica. There's a through line of our show. I've seen Leah at the dog park in West Hollywood a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I wanted to approach. Was she wearing a shirt that said dyke or faggot on it? I think it said faggot. And this okay. guy like lost his mind in the park. Lost and she was like, mind, fuck Erica. you. I'm a dyke. I don't give a shit. And it was like amazing to watch. And I'm in the corner with ravioli and I'm like, ravioli, <laughs> do we approach Empress? Do we approach? But if I see Leah at the West Hollywood dog park before we meet, yeah. should I walk up to her and say, hello, Empress? I feel like I'm Liz. Is. Should I Erica yeah. or not? Or like don't approach at all? Oh yeah. And just tell her that your buddies with me. Sick. Love it. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say we should give a little background as to why you're here because you and I sort of met circuitously in a lot of ways. I got invited. Erica does the Lesbian Bar Project. For those of you who don't know or haven't seen it, it's pretty incredible. And I got invited through NBC, through a, a, a publicist at NBC to go to the screening of it. Leah was there. Erica was there. We didn't get time to connect in person. So we got to connect afterwards. Um, and so I, we really want to dive in with you about the Lesbian Bar Project. I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. Uh, in fact, you know, <laughs> I got kind of quizzed and put on the spot with Liz yesterday. I was talking about your your, your documentary and and this guy was like, well, why aren't there any lesbian bars? And I was like, listen, there's a historical context to a lot of this. So I was like, lesbians don't really, that wasn't our safe space back in the day. Like, so, but uh, can you walk us through what the Lesbian Bar Project is, how you got involved and maybe what you hope to accomplish with it? I know that's kind of a lot of questions, but take it away. Yeah, no, it's uh, great. So the Lesbian Bar Project is a documentary and fundraising campaign to celebrate and raise awareness about the 21 remaining lesbian bars left in the country. I co-created it with the wonderful Alina Street. And uh, basically the origin story goes that, you know, uh, March, 2020, the pandemic hit New York City. And as a filmmaker, my entire industry shut down. So I had nothing but the time and space to reflect on the importance of gathering and being together. And especially in the early weeks of the pandemic, Alina and I spent a lot of time on the phone just processing what the fuck was happening. And we remember that the last time we were able to see each other in person was the lesbian bar gingers in Brooklyn. And this coincided with a couple articles coming out about how lesbian bars in general were disappearing even before the pandemic. Uh, NBC out was reporting there was only 16 left in the country. So Alina and I started talking about it and we were like, we have to use our skill sets as storytellers and filmmakers to alert the community that this is happening. You know, I consider myself pretty entrenched in the LGBTQIA plus world. And I didn't even know the numbers were so bad. And very few people um, I knew uh, were aware of that. So we wanted to alert the community, galvanize the community to support our bars and to ultimately tell the stories of why these uh, institutions are more than just bars, but they're cherished safe spaces and we need to protect them. So we partnered with Jägermeister and Leah, and we released a PSA last year. Uh, We couldn't really travel because of the pandemic. So we shot a bit with the owners of Cubbyhole, the owners of Henrietta Hudson, and we relied heavily on archival. And we released a PSA, which, and a fundraising campaign as well. And we went on to raise over $117,000 for the bars, uh, which (laughs) which was unexpected. I was really excited. 
And then Jaeger and Leah and us, we were like, let's do it again. And this time we did a 20 minute documentary film, which Darren was mentioning. Beautiful film. Yeah. Really, really nice. Thank you. Yeah. And our goal with that was really to humanize this staggering statistic. Like we, okay, there's 21 left in the country, but who are the people behind the bars? I like to call them cultural architects because they're shaping our culture. They're shaping our community and they're shaping our space. And we wanted to get to know them okay. and hear their struggles and see their day-to-day lives and their hopes for the future. So it's through the lens of the bar owners, community activists, patrons, and archivists. And we're not only showing why these spaces are important, but we're also capturing how they're evolving. And we launched our pool fund campaign again on June 3rd, and it goes until July 1st. And our goal is to raise $200,000 this year for the bars. That's basically it. Where can people go to donate if they're listening yeah. to this right now? Like what, just get that out there. We'll put it in our show notes yes. too, but what's the website just in case? Yes. Great question. Thank you. You can watch the film and donate at lesbianbarproject.com. If you want to just go directly to donate, you don't want to watch the film. You go to lesbianbarproject.com slash donate. And you could also Venmo at Lesbian Bar Project. And the film is free to watch. Uh, it's on our homepage. And it's also streaming for free on Jägermeister's global YouTube page. We'll make sure to put it on our Facebook too. We've shared throughout the journey, or I run the Instagram, so we've shared Uh Darren via me over the time. And it's been amazing to kind of watch the evolution of this, you know, as a bystander, Darren and I have kind of been seeing what you guys have been doing for really a year now, which has been amazing. What would you say to... Someone that says to you, isn't a gay bar for like lesbians too? How would right. you respond to that? And let me and let me just say, because Liz lives in LA, but she's fully aware of the New York scene. I was talking about Cubbyhole and I was like, the gay men have over. No, they took Cubby it Hole. over. I they was took like, it over. They've taken it over. It is the female space, but gay men have taken it over. But I know Cubbyhole was mentioned in your project. So yeah, how do you kind of square with that? What kind of Liz was saying? Yeah, it's all like really, really good questions. And I think we can all say as queer women, when we walk, actually, Liz, I don't know how you identify, but I assume oh, you are I'm, queer. I'm it's, queer. Okay. No, she's don't okay. worry. If you're hosting, no, she's a, show, yeah. <laughs> if you're hosting a show about scissoring, not yes. scissoring. Well, yes. I haven't watched the documentary, which I want to, but I'm a little nervous to see if uh, this woman from Gossip Girl in San Diego, this I like basically used to go oh, every God, Christmas and profess my love to this bartender at Gossip Girl because my brother lived in San Diego. Well, and Erica I will left, know if she's hold on. I left my fucking ID and credit card on Christmas <laughs> Eve and had to walk back, like come back on Christmas Day. And please answer the question, but I will say like, it was amazing. I'll never forget seeing so many queer people on Christmas fucking morning in a female queer bar, because it's like, that's where that's their living room and that's their safe place. And that's where they were. Anyway, it was the worst walk of shame of all time. (laughs) And the, and the bartender was there with her girlfriend and their family. And I had to walk in and be like, Hey, remember when I asked you to scissor me in the fucking bathroom (laughs) last night? Like, great to see you. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. And then she's like, here are my three children and my very happy marriage. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Like here are the twins and here's like the worst. Anyway, I hate myself. Okay. Continue. Um, Well, gossip grill. Unfortunately, we were only able to film with um, a couple of the bars. So gossip grill, 
you know, they're part of our campaign, but True. we didn't film with them. So you oh, might. Oh, good. So I'm safe. safe. Yeah. I'm in so a safe place. No, <laughs> yes. no trigger warning there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we can all say as queer women, when we walk into spaces that are gay bars, they're not catered, catered for our experience or for us. And, you know, I can say um, when I walk into a gay bar, it's like, I don't feel like that's a safe space for me. I think that it's mostly men. And a lot of times I've experienced and not all gay men, of course, but like I've experienced a lot of misogyny and, you know, homophobia from gay men. And it doesn't feel like a welcoming space necessarily. And, you know, there's so many dynamics and things, you know, and nuances within the gay male community that I won't even go into, but it is so, so vital for us to be our authentic selves, to have space where we have the freedom to really exercise our true wants and desires. I mean, you know, I can go to Ginger's uh, and feel completely unabashed in who I am. And I don't feel that in necessarily in every space I walk into. And so I think that when people assume that all gay bars, all queer bars are monolithic, it's really a disservice because our community has different, our community is insanely large and insanely diverse. Um, you know, we've got, we've gotten grouped together fine, which is great in some respects, but we have a lot of different needs and desires. And also we outlined this in our mission statement that lesbian bars are not just for lesbian identified people. They're for all marginalized genders within the LGBTQIA community. So that's all queer women, uh, regardless if they're cis or trans, non-binary people and trans men. And those are the people that do not feel necessarily welcome or safe in bars that are typically catered to gay cis men. So it's really important that we have the space where we are, you know, the center of that. And, you know, with the cubby hole that you mentioned, like cubby, like at the end of the day, yes, it's like all of our bars, of course, are like welcome to everyone. Of course. It, yeah, of course. yeah. Yes. But it's like, who they prioritize. And that's what is really important to us. And that's why we need to maintain that. And then I think like what you talked about with like Gossip Girl was that we've heard so many stories from patrons all around the country where, you know, in Walker's Pine in Milwaukee, we have a quote on our website from this woman who talks about she didn't necessarily have a safe space to go home for the holidays for. And she went to Walker's Pine and that was like her I love what you said. Like that was like her living room, you know, that's where she felt at home and that's where she felt like she could be herself. And the bars have been the epicenter of our culture because of that. And I think that we need to make sure that even though ostensibly we've kind of moved to more of like a tolerant society, I, I say tolerant and not accepting for various reasons, but we've moved towards more of a tolerant society. Not everyone gets the privilege of coming home to their parents or their family. And we need to maintain these bars, you know, because of that. And also like for various other reasons, but that's like, I think about that. And I'm like, if we have so few, like there's so many people in our country that don't have that community and they feel alone and we need to do everything we can to uh, make sure that doesn't happen. What do you equate that kind of, you know, obviously inclusivity, like, you know, I, I'm not going into a lesbian bar and a guy walks in and I'm like, you're not welcome here. Like that's, I've never really seen that, but there is this, Liz and I have talked about sort of this misogyny with gay men, especially with, with uh, specifically queer women. Um, but what do you kind of equate that 
too. Like, I feel like we've fought for decades, centuries, whatever we kind of want to say to like be accepted, all of us, like be, we're just like everyone else, like gay people. But there does seem to be this divide between like gay men and then everyone else in the queer community. What do you attribute that to? And what sort of, I can't really describe that feeling, but you're right. Like when I walk in a cubbyhole and I see 50 gay men, I'm not like, let me sit down and see who I can talk to. Like, even if they're not being mean to me, there sort of feels this atmosphere. Well, of you're that. like othered. Yeah. By pure yes, proxy. But is that me or is that them putting something on me? Like, I can't tell what I, I can't right. delineate that appropriately. Well, you know, gay men still carry male privilege and especially gay white men. There's not much evidence that there's any like uh, wage gap with white cis right. gay men. I think that one of the reasons why gay bars, um, they're, they're declining too. But one of the reasons why gay bars have been relatively prolific compared to lesbian bars is because if you just look at the economics of it, men make more than women and gay men make more than all queer women. So, and especially combined income wise, like the combined income of two men versus two women or, you know, whatever, you know, there's such a disparity there. And I think that women in general don't necessarily have the leisure dollars that men do. And a lot of queer women are parents and a lot of their disposable income will go to their families and not to the bars. So that's definitely part of it. And I think like, the vitriol and like all of that, like I definitely have felt it too. And I think it's it's all about internalized misogyny. I think that there's such a hatred of anything in terms of like the feminine and that's like rampant in that community. And I think that it, it's part, there is like toxic masculinity in the dyke community too, which has to be like unpacked and, you know, definitely corrected. But I think that it's part of that. It's part of this, misogyny, um, fear of the femininity, and then it kind of is acted out in a way of like feeling, you know, that lesbians are easy targets. And I definitely like felt that a lot, especially as I was coming out and at college, I just remember like I was friends with, you know, I'm still very much close to a lot of gay men, but the people who kind of like gave me the worst time about it were gay men. And some of them were actually the most supportive, but some of them, and then like kind of used it as an excuse to like touch my body in a way I didn't want to be touched. Like is a friendly, like small of your back. Hey girl, like what, what do you, if you can kind of I dive mean, in for a second. Yeah. Just give me I'm, an example. I'm, yeah. Yes. Trigger warning to the audience. Um, no, I mean, it's just like, I, they would like sexually assault me in oh very casual ways. Yeah. I mean, it would be like, hands down my pants or like even just like snapping oh. my bra and that that happened a lot and I think I I'm have started, so sorry I, yeah, and I, so I hate sorry. all of those men yeah, <laughs> yeah no and it's like I think that it's something that really needs to be talked about more that and they would not just do it to queer women but just a lot of women in general that just because you're gay doesn't mean that you can't inflict sexual harassment on women sure. and touch women inappropriately and I thought that that was me being accepted and it was kind of me being like one of the guys yeah like initiated into the gay experience and I definitely probably you know thought that that was like my worth and it kind of was interesting how that like was projected onto my own sexuality and how I had sex and we could talk 
all about that if we miss a whole other episode. Yeah, we're getting we're getting pretty. Oh, you're coming here, back but, on. Don't you worry about that. Oh, one hundred percent. You're coming back on. We gotta we gotta dissect that. What yeah. do you, if I can ask? What do you equate? like drag culture too then? Because there is a lot of drag culture that I think when Liz and I have sort of touched upon this in a lot of ways, it's like, it took me sort of, and Liz got me very into drag race. Okay. I never watched it full disclosure. And Liz was like, you gotta watch it. So I got into it this season, but there is seem a little bit of me of like, are they making fun of women or are they celebrating women? Is this just a gay culture thing? Like, do you have a problem with drag in any sort of way or no? I have no problem with drag except that it's exclusionary to drag kings and that drag kings don't get like same kind of attention, um, which speaks to how gay men have kind of been at the helm of what we kind of see as gay culture in our country for so long. And yeah, I mean, I kind of think that drag, especially like I'm not an expert in drag. Um, I love it. But what I will say is that I think at the end of the day, it's like an ode to that person's reverence of women and the kind of like the most kind of extreme form of femininity. And, you know, it's sad that it's accepted on stage and in a costume, but when men are just naturally feminine, that's not accepted when it's like day to day. So it's like, for me, I'm like, I'm, I'm fine if that's like with drag, but it also has to be like any level of femininity should be accepted at any time. And I think how I see it is that it's like a way for gay men to kind of exercise some side of them that is often repressed in order to kind of acclimate to a really heteronormative culture and a heteronormative community. So, yeah, I mean, I think that as long as it's celebrated in all senses of someone's life, it's just fine. Yeah. Cue the snaps in the background, you know, when people snap in agreement. I'm like, oh, Erica, snapping it, snapping it. Like, <laughs> that's very eloquent, yes. and it's very, very well said. I couldn't agree more with you. Now that the world is sort of opening up to a varying... At least in New York and California. And L.A. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like there will be a lot more like lesbian bar opening now? Like, do you think there's going to be the kind of this quote roaring twenties within the queer female community to get back into spaces like they've never before and maybe not just go to like wild women Wednesdays at the fucking Abbey or whatever the goddamn night is. Someone asked Liz and I yesterday, they were like, what's the lesbian night? And Liz and I on cue without looking at each other, we're like Wednesday. And like like some straight girl in the back was like, no, it's Thursday. And Liz and I looked at her, we were like, no, No, she said taco Tuesday. Oh yeah. She said, and we go, no, sweetie, it's Wednesday. You idiot. Always fucking Wednesdays. Yeah. Which is always Wednesdays. Always Wednesdays. The woods. Dyke night is on the Exactly. Yes. Yes. Wednesdays. Okay. So do you think Wednesday night is going to be on and popping or like, what do you think (laughs) is going to happen now? First of all, I just want to point out that I love that that straight girl was like tacos, vaginas. Like she's like, that's like where her brain went. She's very um, straight. (laughs) Like literally the most straight ever. Yeah. She's like, isn't that like a symbol? Yeah. Um, yeah. So in our film, we, one of the reasons why we picked subjects, Joe McDaniel and Rachel Pike, who were, Joe was the general manager of a league of her own, the lesbian bar in DC. And she yeah. left a couple months ago so that she and Rach could open as you are bar. And one of the reasons why we picked that storyline is that it's so, we thought it was so important to show 
exactly what you're talking about, Liz, that, that spaces are opening and that the way in which we talk about queer space, specifically lesbian space, is often through the lens of trauma, loss, disappearance. Yeah. And it was really important to us to flip that and say, hey, we are a resilient community. I mean, Pride began as a protest. And we are seeing how these innovators are coming in and creating new space to meet the current needs of the generation and to meet like a recovering economy and a recovering population that's just been through a pandemic. So Joe and Rach have like really kind of made inclusivity a priority. Um, they talk about like having a space that's really accessible to public transportation. DC, you can have 18 plus dance nights at bars. So they want to make it more inclusive for that. And we're seeing the bars in general evolve. Like Henrietta Hudson just changed their logo and that caused, and we talked about that in the film and that stirred a lot of controversy, especially on social media. So their logo was more feminine presenting and then it shifted to something gender neutral and people were really upset about that because they were like, oh, that's a loss of a woman's only space or blah, blah, blah. And Lisa Canastrosi, the owner of Hens, said it really, really well, where she was like, 10, 20 years ago, when you thought you were in a woman's only lesbian space, you weren't. There were trans men there. There were bisexual right. people there. There right. were pansexual people there. And that has always been fundamental to the lesbian community. So how I always view like lesbianism is something as it's, can change, it can evolve, it's fluid, it doesn't have to be so militant. And I think that the spaces are also doing that. And they're opening at earlier, they're serving food, they're opening up space for the sober community, which is like part of the queer community. And especially because since like alcohol and queerness go hand in hand, for all the reasons we know. And I think that like recovery and being sober is like, you know, we should be able to have space for those people so that um, they can participate in the culture. To answer your question, I think more and more spaces are opening. We are getting a ton of emails. There's a space opening in LA. Is there? Yeah, it's called, oh my God, they're going to kill this me. I like think it's a, called, a pen and paper ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like called Hot Donna's Clubhouse is the new space opening up in WeHo. Liz, I believe. going. Well, yes. Listen, Erica. Hot Donnas. Yeah. Hot okay. Donnas. Whether it's LA or New York, I know Darren and I, because finally the pandemic is opening, we want to host more events. We want to meet our listeners. The also really cool thing about this show is that while this is a queer show, we have so many heterosexual listeners, listeners, which I think differentiates us from a lot of other queer podcasts. People come here because including my mother. She's hi, a mom. listener. Yes. But like we would love to host a screening or do something with you guys because I yeah. think the we way that, that this also works is like, yes, we need to educate our community a hundred percent, but we also have to get like allies involved as well so that yeah. they can support them. And when their cute little cousin comes out to them, like secretly at Thanksgiving, cause they're the cool aunt or uncle, then they can tell them to go to hot Donna's cause that's a safe queer space, but Amen. I'm just, I love to do this, Erica. I can't tell if Darren likes it or not, but I love, I love to just make proclamations on the show. Cause then we actually have to do them, but we yes, would love yeah. to do whatever I'm gonna we hold can. You do it. I love it. Yeah. Oh my God. Also, I love to dress up. 
We all need to meet. I mean, she's the femme yeah. to my tomboy for sure. So you're, you're going <laughs> to oh, like. Oh, I, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm on more of the Darren side, but, you know, love they're, a good We're time. chapstick lesbians, I like to say. Yeah, She's more lipstick, but we're our chapstick lesbians. Oh, really? yeah, we're, we're the chapsticks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, even though it'll make you guys laugh, um, and Erica, just go along with the ride. This is a typical... <laughs> typical way I start a story. I was doing Pilates this morning with this woman who I had never met before. And she said to me in LA, I'm like, so it's the worst. And it's like really good for your back. Anyway. So I'm doing Pilates, never met this young woman before. And she's like, yeah, you know, like tomboys like you and I, and I'm, I looked at her and I was like, I wore a leopard leopard ball gown, like a ball gown to a business meeting yesterday. So no, actually. I mean, yes, but no. You know what I mean? I'm just like, picturing you doing like Pilates and heels too. Like, no, for some reason, I, I, don't. I think, no, yeah, yeah. She would. Like, Liz showed up to a photo shoot where it's like it was only the top half and Liz still wore heels. And I was like, why are you doing this? And Liz was like, no, it makes me feel pretty. It makes me, and I was like, okay. But that just, it, I wore, I, I came in like sock shoes, like the most comfortable shoes ever. And she showed up in like five inch heels looking like a stunner. It was Listen guys, amazing. we all have to do what makes us feel good. Amen no, I, I love heels are amazing. I've been watching in a really pathetic way. I've been watching reruns of the real L word. First of all, it's not pathetic. No, no it's yes. pathetic. Who doesn't want to watch free porn on the internet just, or on yeah, TV? Just, like it was pathetic because I've been watching it by myself while my girlfriend is out and about and living her life, <laughs> and I've just been at home, like after working, and just like watching it. And I've been fascinated. Amanda from season three has these oh, yeah. heels that I didn't know it was like humanly possible to walk in shoes like that. It is. And I've just been mesmerized by those. I mean, walk is the is the operative term here. I'm not sure how well you can walk, but you can move <laughs> in them just slowly right. and looking See. a little bit like a deer in the headlights. But that's fine. That's cool. That's I cool. don't know. She really can handle those heels. I miss her old bar with Kim Stoltz, the Dalloway. The uh, Dalloway. I, I was I just, miss, yeah. I miss Yeah, Amanda, if you are listening, please start the Dalloway again. We had Kim on. Kim is now a friend of Darren. She really latched on to Darren, not me. That's fine. No bitterness around this joint. Bye, Liz. Yeah. Some, some guests <laughs> like one of us more than the other. Yeah, that's okay. So and yeah, that's, that's so cool. true. That's and cool. okay. That's cool. I like both of you equally. I just oh my God, say thanks. that. Yeah. Damn thanks. Erica. Damn. Okay. Darren um, is not competitive at all. But we'll um, talk later. Yeah. Kim like yeah. made it pretty clear that the Dalloway is never coming back. I feel yeah. like there was pop-ups maybe, but maybe yeah. not. But you should hit them up. Also, Kim is like expecting a child. So congrats to Kim. Um, yes, Mazel Tov So to crazy. Kim. Her wife is prego. Okay, so we're we're going to do a screening together. We're going to host one, even if you're there or not, just to make sure our listeners watch and, and they understand about it. One more time, tell everyone where they can support the project and, and watch. And follow you personally as well, if you have any, if you have any yes, interest in that. Yes, um, sure. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> you can follow the Lesbian Bar Project at Lesbian Bar Project on Instagram. You can donate to the campaign until July 1st by going to lesbianbarproject.com slash donate. You can watch our film for free on our website, lesbianbarproject.com or on Jägermeister's global YouTube page. And you can follow me personally, my handle, it's not very sexy, but it's at E-A-R 360. It was my NYU ID. 
And I used it for my Instagram profile thinking I like downloaded Instagram and I was like, this is never going to be a thing. Um, (laughs) I was wrong and it's too late to change it because I'm tagged in too many things, but yes, you can follow me at EAR three six zero. That sounds like the best AOL screen name of all time. It's like sparkly oh. eyes five seven six. You're like okay. Yeah, I sure. I miss I miss the days of AIM. Like me too. We need to get back to that. Yeah, I miss AIM. I miss AIM a lot. Yeah, um, AIM. away messages. Yeah, yeah. got little song lyrics. Anyway, this we could go down yeah. the path. Erica, we hope you come back on Scissoring Isn't a Thing because I feel like we have a lot more oh. to discuss uh, with you yes. if you wouldn't mind. Yes. Or why don't we do this? And again, this is, see, this is what happens. This is Liz. Let's do a live podcast before we screen the film. Done. And it'll be great. Yeah. There you go. We have to find out about whether Erica says she tried scissoring once. So we're going to have to. (gasps) Don't say a word. Let's let's do it in round two. This is a good. Yeah, this is a good teaser for the audience. But Erica, thank you so much for coming on scissoring as a thing. Honestly, your documentary is beautiful. I hope you do more of stuff like this Uh, for anyone who hasn't watched it. Watch it. But if you don't want to fucking donate, that's what we're going to tell you today. 100% love, love event slide into the Venmo with some money. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you, Erica. Thank you. (laughs) Scissoring isn't a thing is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Begas. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SIAT Podcast. See you next Tuesday.